Hello, friends. Welcome back for another episode of the It's Murder, Y'all podcast. I'm your host, Amber, and with me today is a man who isn't a regular dad. He's a cool dad. My husband, Rob. Say hey, Rob. How do, how do. So do you even know what that was a reference to, my little intro? Uh, Not in the least. Mean Girls. I'm not Uh, a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. I knew you wouldn't get it, but it's all I had. I'm a mean girl dad. No, I just thought it was funny. I'm a cool dad. No, you're not that either. (laughs) You lied. (laughs) Anyway, so far on this podcast, we visited the state where we were born and raised. Pretty fucking cool, bud. I'm just saying. I'm pretty damn cool. The lady doth protest too much. I'm just you know, saying. Do you know what that's from? I I, I do. No, no, you don't. I would. You can take all of your movie and literature hoopla on somewheres. You're usually the one that's quoting movies. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, because I quote good movies. Sir. <laughs> uh, mean Girls, Girls is a classic. It is one movie I quote. Probably the most, aside from like Pineapple Express. Anyways. Moving along. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, like I was saying, so far on this podcast, we have visited the state that we were born and raised in and the state that we currently live in. So now it's time to pay a visit to the last state that we lived in before we moved to Tennessee. A state that is famous for varsity hot dogs, Coca-Cola, and a large chunk of mid-2000s hip-hop. Dun, dun, Can dun. I just say, just a hot, this is going to be a very controversial hot take for the Georgians. That you don't like varsity hot dogs? bro. I had the varsity at least a half a dozen times. At least. And not one time was, I. they had their, some orange drink, I think. They have a fancy, their own fancy orange drink or something. I don't remember. Uh, that was good. But it was just not, I mean, I... Uh, it was a it was a hot it was an old fashioned hot dog hamburger joint or whatever, but like it wasn't any better than like um, what's that one place where you can order corn dogs and onion rings and Sonic? No, 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 no. The place that has cheer wine. Oh, cookout. Cookout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was like it wasn't any better than that. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was pretty mid in my opinion. It's just that's my hot take. I think Varsity is. Maybe overrated a smidge. I'm going to put myself on blast. Maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. You, obviously, you know this story because you you were there. You participated. But when I was pregnant with our daughter, so I worked for the University of Georgia. And the college I worked in, we would do this event called Dogs with a Dean. And, like, the mascot would come out and Varsity would cater it with hot dogs. One thing about pregnant Amber, which one thing about Amber anyways is Amber loves a hot dog. Pregnant Amber, hot dog. <laughs> pregnant Amber really loved a hot dog. And I was like 39 weeks pregnant and huge. And I went and got my free hot dog and like, it was really good. So I went and got another free hot dog. And then I had one of my interns go get me a hot dog. And then I had another one, get me another hot dog. So I had four hot dogs. And so I had my weekly checkup that day and they were like, oh, like your blood pressure is high. And like, you have protein in your urine. I was like, they're like, I think you have preeclampsia. Like it was all the hot dogs. I had four hot dogs. I'm sorry. No, it turns out I had preeclampsia. Sorry, I smell like hot dog water in here, (laughs) y'all. Literally. I was trying to convince them that it was just the hot dogs. Please don't induce me. But turns out it was preeclampsia and not the hot dogs. Um, Them them hot dogs didn't give you swollen ass ankles. They didn't. That should have been the clue. (laughs) I feel like you have, you've had nightmares about my feet. When I was pregnant, those were pretty gross. Oh, I had elephantitis. You had a whole thing going. I did. Um, So, yeah, we're going to Georgia because you kind of ruined my, like, my my uh reveal of the state but yeah we're going to georgia well, you um, said varsity well i know but i was given like oh people, i ruined your your rollout huh yeah people in tennessee don't know what the all hell right. varsity is i didn't know what varsity was till we lived in athens sorry about that it's okay um i, I actually I stole your shine with my hot take i actually wrote in my notes that i was gonna try to think up something funny to say here but i'm very tired and all i can think of are ludicrous lyrics you know that he he dropped repelled out of the ceiling of the New Georgia Dome for the Atlanta football game they just recently had there. I saw that. And I will put this on the record. I fucking love Ludacris. And I just really hope he doesn't do anything problematic because I love him. And he's I, a national treasure. I, feel I like. love his music and I can rap it. Him and like Little John, he's they're in like the same vibe of like kind of unfuckwithable. 
you also know this story, but when I was in, when I was getting my master's, I was writing a paper and I literally quoted Ludacris in the paper. So I had to cite Christopher Bridges, which is his actual legal mm-hmm. name in the citations. I made an A on that paper. But I still think it's funny that like literally I had Ludacris lyrics in my paper. That's what they call him when he does Fast and the Furious. Christopher Bridges? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not in the movie, but that's, the, the, well, you know what I mean? Yeah. They like credit it to not Luda. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So before we get started, we do have a trigger warning for this week's episode. There is a discussion of suicide. So if that is something that you are sensitive about, this one is not the one for you. Also, for those of those, for those of those, for those of you that let your kids listen and no shame because I let our kids listen to some episodes, not all of them, occasional episodes, y'all, it is going to be a long episode, occasional episodes. Um, But if you have not talked with your children about the birds and the bees, you may not want them to listen to this episode. And as always, there's going to be profanities. That's just who me and Rob are as humans. There also may be some obscenities in this one, potentially. So just throwing that out there. Um, Final disclaimer. This is this is for me. I finished this script like 10 minutes ago, and I did not have time to do a full read through. So hopefully I don't sound super dumb. In my defense, I have two really big papers due this week and another one next week. And so I didn't have a whole lot of time to devote to research and writing, but I didn't want to leave y'all hanging because we didn't do one last week. Um, So Rob, you were in charge of making sure that you pay attention, making sure I don't say stuff that don't make no sense. But I reckon if you do miss something and it's egregious, I'll, I'll, you'll hear me dub myself uh, in editing. So with all that being said, let's actually get started. So today's case begins in Appalachia, Georgia, which is just fun to say Appalachia. I'm going to throw an Appalachie. Um, mm-hmm. And Appalachie is where Marianne Clopton Shockley was born on August 14th, 1975, making her a Leo. I feel like we've had a lot of Leos on the podcast. No Capricorn representation that I can remember. And that is no. unfortunate. Appalachie is about 30 minutes south of Athens, Georgia. So Marianne was the third child of doctors John and Sandra Shockley. And unfortunately, I don't have a lot of information about her formative years, but I do know that in 1997, she graduated with a bachelor's degree in biology from Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. Milledgeville is also kind of fun to say. So while in college, Marianne worked at the Milledgeville Country Club, and that is where, in 1995, she met Marcus Allen Lillard, who was a couple years her junior. Though still a teenager, Marcus had already seen his fair share of trouble, having been arrested for marijuana distribution. Though he was taking a break from selling drugs, he was absolutely still using drugs. And I ain't just talking weed. Like, he was regularly he was doing on the hard cocaine. Stuff. Yeah, and he was known to try acid and mescaline. Is that what it's? Mescaline. Mescaline, yeah. The only time I've heard that in context is uh, Purple Pills, the song by D12 and Eminem. You what? You, th- that's in that song. That's the only what? time I've, like, ever heard. I think that was the first time I ever heard of mescaline was in that song. Wow. Which is why I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, when Marianne and Marcus met, he was a dishwasher at the country club, and Marianne was manager of the wait staff. According to the Bloodtown podcast, when Marianne noticed that Marcus was up to his eyeballs and dirty dishes, she pitched in to help, which was very indicative of her sweet personality. After working together for an unspecified amount of time, Marcus and Marianne parted ways. Marcus went to jail for the first time, and they both ended up marrying, having kids, and living their lives. So over the years, Marianne would go on to have two children, Paul and Nora, and also earned her master's degree in entomology from the University of Georgia. Rob, do you know what entomology? Do you know what entomology is? A hundred percent. What is it? It's about bugs. It is. It's the study of bugs. Marianne's specific area of interest, though, was entomophagy. Do I played know- Dungeons and Dragons with an entomologist. For real? I did for a hot round. Well, first, it was a brief. They're called uh, like shots. It's like. It's like short form D and D, basically. You've lost me. Um, it's we... like a. It's like instead of three four hour long D and D, it's it's one hour long D and D. Okay. It's like an abbreviated version, very short and simple and sweet. Mostly just battles and fighting and shit. Word. Um, we also entered a cricket. Sorry, spitting I con- just nerded out for a second, and you I just did. didn't even mean to. We also uh, entered a cricket spitting contest, and that was sponsored by the entomology department. 
You did a lot I better. Almost, I was in first place for a while. I think I you may like. have won. We left, I think, before it was over. Did I, I win? Did. Oh, did I almost win? I think, I think you I, did. I was, a, I was a top three or one. Oh, for sure. You did good. I was telling our kid about it the other day, and she was like, you spit a cricket? I was like, well, first of all, you were there. It was a frozen cricket. Yeah, and she, she was like. Mine was halfway thawed, which was kind of a bummer. But... What's funny is like, she felt like it tracked that you would do cricket spitting, but she felt it was like out of character for me. And I'm like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's I had to. That's yeah, I've one. seen you act a certain way around a cockroach. I don't. Yeah, uh, I was very surprised when you put that cricket in your mouth. For I also, sure. Also stuck my arm in a fake cow's back end. Yeah, but it's not. It's a, a little cow. different. Yeah. A little different than spitting a cricket. Yeah, I just you really do got to get elbow deep on them cows, but it's bro, it's you got to get shoulder deep with yeah. the cows. Anyways, do you know what entomophagy is? That is Marion's specific interest. Entomophagy. Like moths? Uh, no. Uh, entomophagy is the practice of eating insects. She believed that bugs could be a key uh, to solving world hunger because they could be used as a protein source. Yeah. I mean, in other countries and shit, you'd be eating bugs. I mean, it, it tracks. I was thinking, like, who decided, okay, we're going to eat these animals and they're going to be delicious, but you're a fucking weirdo if you even think about eating these ones. It's a cultural thing. And like, how are I shrimp, think... like, shrimp are like the bugs of the sea. And I love a shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, shortly after earning her master's, Marianne was hired by the entomology department at UGA to serve as their program coordinator. So, one benefit of working at a university is that they have tuition assistance programs, and they will pay for you to go to school. So, that's what Marianne did. She started working uh, on her PhD part-time while she worked. And God, do I know that struggle. Uh, Marion finished her PhD in 2009, and in, in 2010, she became the department's academic professional associate, which I think is basically like their undergraduate coordinator, um, which means that she would like coordinate basically everything related to undergraduate, so like classes and stuff. So as part of her job, Word. she taught, and she was very popular. Students called her Doc Shock. Uh, she also did a lot of outreach. Mm-hmm. She traveled to other countries and became an international leader in the field of entomophagy, she even served as the director for the North American Coalition for Insect Agriculture. I thought you said entomophagy, and I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck, yeah, that's moths, dude, for sure. I could see, no, moth-fudgy. Yeah, I thought there was a TH in there, and I was like, nailed not. it. <laughs> I mean, that was a good guess, but no. And I had to write it phonetically in my notes, because I was like, if I don't, I'm going to forget how to say it. So while Marianne was being a queen and working on her education, Marcus was being Marcus. He'd attempted college, but dropped out due to drugs. According to Marcus, quote, I just thought life was a party and I treated it as such, end quote. He would get married twice, I think, and he had a son named Carson. Now, career-wise, Marcus worked as a car salesman and a finance manager for several dealerships across Georgia. So in 2017, he was passing through Athens. And from what I gather, he used like the fine nearby friends feature on Facebook and up popped Marion Shockley who he hadn't seen in like 20 years. So he, I guess, messaged her and they met for lunch one day. And then they rode on his Harley over to one of her favorite places, which was the the Botanical Gardens. Regarding that day, Marcus said, quote, the motorcycle ride, I mean, it's as romantic as you can get for lunchtime on a Wednesday, end quote. I don't know why that struck me as funny. Like, I don't care for motorcycles. I tolerated them for you. I rode in the pouring down rain on a motorcycle for you whilst protecting your cell phone in your pocket. Uh, I don't care to do it again. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I miss riding motorcycles, but like this post COVID driving is, I mean, I cannot stress it enough. I don't know what happened to people's brains during the lockdowns and all that, but since they've all gotten back to driving normal, it's like asshole levels and ignorant and I'm not paying attention and looking at my phone. Shit is, I, I mean, I've, I've been almost wrecked into at least half a dozen times this week alone in my personal vehicle and in my work vehicle. That never it, happens to me. Dude, I do- I have to dodge people all the time, especially on the highway. People just drift in lanes. It is, I don't, it is crazy. People do not know how to move around amongst themselves. It blows me away that I don't see more wrecks on the road. That is true. People and oh my are, God. People are rude and don't pay attention. When it rains, people oh. in Knoxville lose all ability to function and drive. Facts. 
unreal. So I guess that motorcycle ride did it for Marianne because her and Marcus started dating and they spent every possible moment together that that they could. Uh, He didn't live in Athens, though, so they only saw each other on the weekends, but they spent all the weekend together. Marianne would also bring Marcus along on her study abroad trips to serve as her assistant. Marianne and Marcus were actually gearing up to go on another study abroad trip to Ecuador in mid-May of 2019. On May 11th, 2019, just five days before they were supposed to leave for the Ecuador trip, Marianne and Marcus decided to spend the day in Milledgeville, which is about an hour and a half south of Athens. The couple went to a few bars and then went to the home of Marcus's friend, 69-year-old Dr. Clark Heindel. Clark was a former psychologist who owned a yoga studio in Milledgeville. According to Marcus, they, quote, had a few beers, smoked a little pot, started listening to some music, had a couple more beers, end quote. I read that they basically oh, started, they, It was just vibing. Yeah. I read it that they- It was just vibing, bud. They, like, started jamming. Apparently, Clark played the accordion, and, uh, oh, and yeah. Marcus was playing the bongos, which made me think about you. I did used to, well, I, it was called a djembe, to be technical. But yes, I well, I did play. You're making percussion. yourself sound real nerdy in this episode. <laughs> That's what it was called. I'll be knowing shit. I can, I can know stuff and play Dungeons and Dragons is cool as shit. It okay, is nerd. cool as shit. And I, I will debate anyone on the topic. Whatever I'm just saying. To tell yourself. So at some point in the evening, Marcus asked Clark if he had any acid and Clark said no but he no, did have brother. Some, but he did have some ecstasy so when i was first <laughs> reading about this case that's very different <laughs> and very I, very different experiences there when i was looking at the case and i found out about the weed and the ecstasy like i have to admit my first thought was like how are old people getting all these drugs and then oh. i then i remembered that Marcus and Marianne were only 3 and 5 years older than us and i hurt my own feelings clark was 69 though so that made me feel a little bit better. But yeah, they're straight partying. Look, and man, like, hey, no judgment. smokes, dude. Don't, I don't. Don't, let, I don't. don't. Well, I mean, I don't want to say that loosely, but like, you'd be surprised. You'd like, be surprised. No judgment. I don't judge nobody. Um, it's not my thing. The only the only drugs I have are my legal speed. Although I did accidentally uh, not pay attention and take double dosages of my Vivance last week and that was probably not good um but yeah just drugs not my vibe but so clark pulls out his ecstasy and they decide to you know just vibe it out in his hot tub whilst enjoying their ecstasy i don't know anything about ecstasy so so we're gonna call it the love drug but well so you had three people in a hot tub yeah under the influence they was feeling it well fast forward a couple hours and it's 1 a.m. and it's now Mother's Day. Okay. We're on we're sun we're in Sunday now. It's Mother's Day. It's May 12th. And a call comes in to the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office. And it is Clark Heindel saying that he needs an ambulance at 115 Watkin, nope, Watson Reynolds Road. He says that a woman has slipped in the hot tub and drowned. So a short while later, the rescue squad shows up and they find Marion Shockley naked on the concrete near the pool. Naked. And Marcus. Yep. As a daggum jaybird. And oh, Mar- look at <laughs> Oh my God. I love Ray Stevens so much. You got me. That was, you got me right in the giggles. Um, I saw that thing naked as a jellybird. Love it. So Marion was naked on the concrete near the pool and Marcus and Clark were giving her CPR. Now, many sources reported that Marcus and Clark were also both naked, but I think Clark had clothes on and Marcus was naked, uh, but. But he did then tie a towel around his waist yeah. at some point. Anyways, so first responders noticed a couple of things. First, there were some spots in the grass near the pool that had blood on them. Oh. Secondly, Marianne had a big old gash on her forehead. And Marcus admits that he had dropped her when he was pulling her out of the hot tub, like after he realized that she was unconscious. Which I'm like, bruh. Dropped her on her face. I'd be so mad. Well, they're uh, on ecstasy and stoned out of their mind, honey. You know what I mean? That is true. <laughs> in a hot tub, all discombobulated, juices is flowing and whatnot. <laughs> all kinds oh, of juices. Hell, what the hell happened? You know. You sounded a little bit like Hank Hill just then. So, third thing they noticed, and very importantly, when they got Marianne into the light, they noticed that she was dead. Like dead dead As like like rigor mortis was starting to set in dead and according oh, so she oh she'd been dead according to a few resources i found including a study by the national institute of health rigor mortis sets in or starts to become noticeable after about two hours 
So Marianne had not just died. So two things. Number one, again, I say I do not want to die naked. Don't want it to happen. Yeah. Don't want to be. That would suck. It would suck real bad. Number two, that means that Marcus and Clark were doing CPR on a dead person when the rest. Knowingly doing it. Yeah. So at this point, first responders are like. Oh shit! It took them two hours to come come down off all their shit enough to be like, "What the fuck do we do now?" <laughs> okay, that you reminded me of something I didn't include in my notes. So you're gonna have to try to you you don't even know where to because you don't know the script. Hopefully, I remember to tell you the thing that I just forgot. Remembered that I forgot to put in the script, y'all. I'm a hot mess right now. So first responders realize, "Oh shit, this is a crime scene." So the sheriff's deputies come out and they separate Marcus and Clark so that they can get their story. So Marcus, he's actually cooperative. He's like, yeah, I'll do whatever. I'll tell you whatever. So they put him in the back of a patrol car to chat with a deputy. Now, Marcus is the younger one. Yeah. Yes. Marcus is Marianne's boyfriend. Okay. Clark is the old. Yes. And Clark is like the old dude that was a uh, a psychologist. Yeah. He that has ecstasy. So Marcus has been cooperative. Clark, on the other hand, been a little difficult. Body cam footage would show a deputy repeatedly asking Clark to stay away from the pool and basically just stay in one spot. So, side note, listening to them talk on the body cam was so funny to me because, like, obviously they're Southern because it's Georgia, but Georgia accents sound so different to me than our accents. I feel like they have much more of a Southern drawl in Georgia. Like, it's a lot more, it's, like, slower. Yeah. And, and so, like, when we lived there, I always felt kind of out of place because, like, I talk real fast, but then I learned, oh, it's just because we have Appalachian accents. And I, I find it interesting that like our North Alabama Appalachian accents blend in very well with like the East Tennessee Appalachian accent. Like I don't often, like in Georgia all the time, they'd be like, where are you from? I don't get that very much here, which I think is interesting. So anyway, yeah. a deputy is basically having to babysit Clark because he won't cooperate. Well, the deputy watching Clark gets a phone call and he gets distracted. So Clark takes that as an opportunity to walk away and slip into his house. And a few moments later, before anyone had even realized he was gone, sheriff's deputies heard quote, a loud but muffled noise end quote coming from inside the house. And police realized real quick that they done fucked up. Cause when they walk into the house, they find Clark Heindel dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Damn. They also find a suicide note that read in part, quote, I'm very sorry. I don't know what happened with Marianne, but it was on my watch. And I'm so sorry for the family and friends, end quote. The rest of the letter was basically just, here's what you should do with my shit. And he did not admit guilt in the note. So we started out the night with three people. And now two of them are dead. Baldwin County Sheriff Bill Massey would later call this whole situation, quote, one of the strangest cases that we've ever worked on, end quote. So. Oh, yeah. Now, for the sake Love of story- triangles, do some weird shit, man. So, for the sake of storytelling, I left out some key details that happened between them doing ecstasy and Marion being found dead and, and naked. So, I'm going to go back a little bit. I and, have a theory in my own right. Okay, well, keep your theory because I'm going to want to hear it at, at the end. So, this is where it, it's probably not the best spot, but I'm going to say it before I forget. So, the thing that I forgot to include in writing my script was the fact that. At 11 o'clock, so again, they find, they call 911 at 1 o'clock, right? At 11 p.m., like two hours before that, Marcus was texting and calling these two respiratory therapists that he knows, like asking them about like what to do if someone's not breathing. And like one of them is like, bro, call 911. And so police are like, okay, well, this was clearly an issue at 11 and we're not here till one and she's dead. That don't you, look good. So you done messed up. So like I said, police show up. At least two thirds of the people were naked. Police are like, what's going on? And both men are like, bro, I have no idea. Marcus told police that he had gone into the nearby woods to get some firewood. And when he came back, Marion was unconscious in the hot tub. Clark said he was in the pool, but he's on the opposite end from where the hot tub was. And he didn't notice anything until Marcus came back and was like, what's wrong with Marianne? Now, police were skeptical about Marcus's story. Because first off, he was butt-ass naked with no shoes on, just going out into the woods at night. Secondly, and so he said he was going to get firewood, right? Well, there was already a big pile of firewood next to the fire pit. Thirdly, it had rained heavily that day. So any wood that he would have gotten from the woods would have been wet. 
Now, this is probably a real dumb question, but I'm not. They were all high and couldn't get their shit straight. (laughs) I'm not outdoorsy, but like, can you not like burn wet wood? Like, will it not burn? Look, what you have to do is find the dry stuff, start burning the dry stuff, and then stack the wet stuff up on top of it in like a, think of a Lincoln log cabin, how you stack it up. Mm Mm-hmm like that to make the little log cabin but they like made a big deal of the fact that like you have to know how to burn wet firewood to burn wet firewood in in short you can but you have to know what you're doing okay well they they made a big deal of it being like sketch so well because most people don't know how to burn wet firewood like this is not a common knowledge thing right believe it or not Marcus would later say that the real reason he went to the woods was because he was fucked up beyond all recognition because of the ecstasy. And he was trying to recreate a scene from a documentary called The Last Shaman. And according to him, he just went to the woods and lay down for a while. And he said that before he made his venture into the woods, Marianne said, quote, baby, get back in this water with me right now. End quote. Marcus said that he could hear fear in her voice, but he wasn't sure what she was afraid of. In an interview with CBS News, Marcus was asked why he didn't go back if he felt like she was scared. And Marcus said, quote, because I'm an idiot, end quote. So Marcus said that he didn't remember anything that happened between Marion telling him to get back in the hot tub and then him coming out of the woods and seeing her slumped over in the hot tub. He doesn't know how much time passed. He doesn't know what happened. So according to Marcus, he pulled Marianne out of the hot tub and dropped her in the process. Uh, I believe he may have also put her in the pool. I don't, I can't remember. So Clark came over and was like, should we call 911? And Marcus told him, no, I think she'll be fine. So later a deputy asked Clark, if she's unconscious, y'all didn't think to call 911? And Clark responded, quote, it seemed like she was breathing, end quote. He told the cops that he and Marcus, quote, thought she was going to come around, end quote. And Marcus would later say that he thought she might have been faking it or messing with him. Like, I mean, I ain't going to mess with you to make you think I'm dead. Yeah, but. You know, again, I know they're fucked up. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, I'll wait. I'll give you my theory whenever you're ready for it. So Penny Dearman, host of the Bloodtown podcast that goes over this case in depth, said that her theory is that Marcus didn't want to call 911 because he was on probation from a 2015 conviction from selling marijuana and possessing meth and cocaine. Like, I guess. Yeah. Like, I get not being jazzed about calling 911, but if your girlfriend's dying, that should probably take precedence over like not getting in trouble with a popo. Like again, yeah. like if, if you let me die because you were afraid you're going to get in trouble, I would fucking haunt you. So, well, look, I, I can just, I can keep my composure. Let's just say. And, okay. And I, I am not one like these gentlemen that is like uncertain or most people. I feel like a lot of, a large portion of our society in what most people would deem an emergent time. Like if something went down and a decision needed to be made of what, what do we do? What to do? I don't know what to do. Like in general, I feel pretty capable in those situations. Like I have a history of not really panicking in, in the moment like that. I'm glad that one of us can keep their composure because it certainly is not me. I think it has a lot to do with trauma. uh, Yeah. So like, those moments don't seem as big to me. Even as a little kid, I remember like, uh, sorry to go on a tangent. I'll make it quick, but my mom had this little Nissan Maxima that was a five speed. And we were, uh, over at one of her friend's house and that had been babysitting us. And we were, she had left the car on and, uh, no, 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 no. The car was off and she had put it in gear and didn't pull the e-brake up and we had gotten in the car me and my sister and she was still inside talking to uh, her friend or whatever and uh me and my sister were horsing around and knocked the car out of gear and it, it started rolling i mean and it wasn't like a steep hill but it was steep enough to where the car was started rolling toward the the trailer you know that it was in front of my mom's friend's house or trailer and my sister started oh my god oh my god and i just jumped up in the front seat and just jerked the e-brake just i mean it just just immediately you know what i mean and i was probably shit i don't know six or seven maybe yeah no i would not have handled that like you know they talk about like fight or flight but there's like fight flight or freeze i'm a freezer i will just Well, I just, I just remember seeing, I, I, again, I I was always a car 
cars has always been a thing for me. And I just always like watching people drive. I remember as young as I can remember, like watch, liking watching people driving when I was in the car with them. And I would always seen, you know, driving a manual when you park, to, when the car stops, you pull that little lever and it goes, eh, I like the little sound it made, eh, you know? So I just remembered, oh, this thing stopped, makes it stop. And I just jerked it up, you know? No, I would have, we would just, I would have crashed if I was in that yeah. car. There was a time there was a snake under, uh, under a toy that we had in the porch. We were on the back of my grandparents' house and uh, my sister again started kind of, I saw it and I just kind of calmly walked in the house and said, Hey, there's a snake out there on the back porch. You know, I just, I'm not one that I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, yeah. my natural setting is to not panic in, in, in situations. It seems like I, I panic in all situations. So that's why I feel like opposites attract. Like we have to, you know. Yeah. We had to we had to come together with our yin and yang because you can't have two like I couldn't be with somebody that panics easily. Cause then how's anything gonna get done? Well, you remember when the truck was sliding on that ice last year oh, when my right. goofy I ass was, tried to go up that hill. I was panicking so bad on the inside. Oh, I knew, I knew. And you like I was like, hey, look, I got this. I'm good. Listen, this is what I'm doing. This is where we're gonna go. This is where we're gonna stop. This is what we're gonna do. <laughs> the whole time I was like, We're good, we're good, we're good. I feel like you're so mm. calm in situations sometimes that it's like, are you even worried? Like, like were you oh, concerned? Sometimes on the inside, uh like, were you concerned last week when you had to take me to the emergency room? Because you seemed very nonchalant. I'm like, is he just tolerating me being dramatic? Or does he legit think, oh, my wife might be having a heart attack? Uh, I know. I anxiety dumped all that shit later on. That's probably what made me sick in turn. Because I just, I, I swallowed any, I mean, it wasn't about me. So, you know what I mean? I, can, I can't experience my feelings knowing that it ain't about, that I can't really, it ain't really about me at that time. That, that's just not my time. It's just, when you're, when you have to be there for somebody else, that's not your time to feel your emotions. Like, it's just, it's just not. If you're going to really and truly be there for somebody the way you expect them to be there for you, if you, you know, need somebody to be there for you, if I need somebody, I know, you know, hey, I gotta, I don't know how I feel about it. When it's my time to, to, I just know what it means to be reliable and I can't be all emotional and be reliable at the same time or all anxious and be reliable. So I, I was pushing a lot of my own bullshit down, but no, I, I, I made it a, a I'm, it was just not a choice. Like I'm, I am level. I am here. I'm good. I'm not up. I'm not down. I'm level. I'm level. You know what I mean? It was shit like that. I say in my head. Yeah. Cause you're very level. I think the only times that I saw your anxiety slip out was the 700 times you came in here to check to make sure I was breathing when I was napping for like 18 hours. You, I felt you touched me a oh, lot. Oh, it's not. And I know because my mother used to touch me to make sure that I was breathing. I know that's what you were doing. Well, it's just I was I was checking the pace of your breathing more so than if you're it's like I, I didn't think she did in there. I thought I need to go check. You know what I mean? I was. I was checking the state of things, you know what I mean? So I know, you know, this is kind of where she's at. This is where she's at now. I'm going to give her some more time. I want to make sure she's not, there's not a degradation. You know, as long as you're maintaining and, and just vibing, you're, we're good. But if I felt like you were like breathing faster or like breathing way, way slow, to me, that would indicate low blood pressure shit again. And I, I, I'm just, I'm a details motherfucker, man. I, I don't know what else to tell you. The, again, the information is your friend. That's why we're perfect for each other. Because like you married a, a sickly, anxious woman. And so you can take care of me and be calm. Um, And you aren't often sick. So I don't have to be. I was be, sick for a whole, what, 36 hours total, maybe. I, I worried the whole time. I, I kept, chanced that shit out, son. I mean, like, I ain't gonna lie. I didn't want to call and wake you up. So I kept checking the camera to see if you were taking the dogs out. Because then I knew that, out then I knew I that you were awake. Home and I didn't even change out of my scrubs. I just got under my covers and laid down and was out. I was I was going to give you a, like a good 10 more minutes if you hadn't gotten up after we got home. Because I was like concerned. But I knew that you had come. You'd gotten a package out from in front of the house like 30 minutes before we got home. So I'm like. Yeah. Hey. I mean, I was up and down and, you know. Back and forth in the bathroom, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I, I mean, last week was a bad health week for the our family. 
I champed. We yeah, it was it was all good. I feel like for what it was, we made it through there. Yeah, I'm super super glad that uh that it only lasted like that 36 to 32 hour span or whatever. I feel like I'm like 98 to 100 percent right now. Yeah, like you seem good, and I'm glad because my anxiety was at an 11. So back to our case. Sorry. No, it's tangent time. That this is what that that is what this podcast is. It's nothing if not cuss words and tangents. So now that we have a little bit more, well, prior to our tangents, we had more context on things that had happened. So now we can get back to where we kind of left off. Marion's dead. Clark's dead. Marcus has been questioned. And so at first, he's like, I had have no idea what happened. Um, I wonder whose ass got chewed out the most for that dude shooting himself right? in an active crime scene while police were there. I just, there's no way someone didn't get nearly fired, if not fired, or completely just demoted to desk duty for a couple months for absolute just negligence. I'm going to try to find it real quick. There was a quote from the sheriff um, about how bad it was. Give me a second. I, I mean, that is a certified shit show. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. I had it somewhere. <laughs> oh, oh um, so in in a CBS like 48 Hours episode, the interviewer asked the sheriff, why was Clark allowed to go back into his home? And the sheriff said, I'll be up front with you. It was a violation of our policy and procedures. And so the interviewer said, how big of a mistake was that in this case? Oh, the biggest. And Sheriff Massey said, oh, it was a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. It was a dramatic, dramatic error in this case. Like, yeah, like now, but because the implication is, well, why would you kill yourself if you weren't guilty? Which we'll, uh, we'll, well, we'll touch on that more in a minute, but that's kind of where people's minds went. But so at first, Marcus, when he's been questioned, was like, you know, there's no way that Clark would have hurt Marianne. But then GBI agent Michael Maben told Marcus, quote, Marcus, I'm going to tell you, during the time that I guess you were in the backseat of the car, Clark went inside his house and he committed suicide inside the house, end quote. Marcus responds, quote, oh, shit, you're kidding, end quote. Agent Maven says, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Why would he do that? And Marcus says, I don't know, maybe that will shed some light, though. And so at this point, Marcus starts hypothesizing that Clark is the one that hurt Marianne. He told Agent Maven, quote, there's a pretty good chance that Clark got, Clark got in that hot tub and put a move on her. I will say there's a very high chance of that, end quote. And Agent Maven kept pushing Marcus, telling him that he was leaving stuff out. So Marcus said, quote, if I had something to tell you, I promise I'd tell you. I'm a lot of shit, but a liar ain't one. I was gone when she was in that hot tub, man, end quote. And Agent Maven continued to press Marcus, asking him if he thought Clark did something to Marianne. Marcus told him, quote, I don't think she would have did it to herself, and I know I didn't do anything, end quote. And I read a transcript of Marcus's interrogation, and to me, it seemed a little bit like he was waffling between like, oh no, Clark was like this chill old man, he couldn't have done it, to like, he killed himself, and why would you kill yourself if you didn't do anything? So, at this point, police have two sus- two suspects, one alive and one dead, so they start looking into the backgrounds of each man. So, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, Clark Heindel was a former psychologist. Well, he was a former psychologist because his license to practice psychology was revoked in 2017. According to CBS News, my theory sounds airtight right now. I'd just like to say that right now. Well, in my opinion, just keep it. So according to CBS News, a former patient filed a complaint with the state licensing board claiming that he had been supplying her with drugs for sex. Aside from that, Clark didn't have any kind of other kind of history. There was one note that his six-year-old son died like years and years before, and that had like a, an a effect on him moving forward. But there was no evidence that he had harmed Marianne, and he was cleared as a suspect. Marcus, on the other hand, was a different story. According to Penny Dearman from the Bloodhound podcast, at the time of Marianne's death, Marcus had had nine previous felonies, six misdemeanors, and several DUIs. Marcus's son Carson would tell CBS News that Marcus had been on cocaine for for Carson's entire life, and he'd actually warned Marianne about his dad. He told her that due to the drugs, Marcus had a Jekyll and Hyde personality and that she needed to be careful. The thing about Marcus, though, is that he was a charmer and, as some, as many would say, a slut. Marcus would say in an interview, <laughs> quote, somehow God, <laughs> somehow. <Damn> slut? <laughs> That's some, such a funny word. I don't, I don't know. It is. Like, I'm just glad you know, it's not used, being used <laughs> towards a woman. I'm a, I don't care if you use it towards a man. 
Um, was, I just, I, I, it's always funny hearing people refer to a man as a slut. I just, it's, I don't know. It's just funny. I've known some man sluts. <laughs> for sure. You damn slut. <laughs> That's when I start calling you. Marcus would say it. <laughs> Marcus would say in an interview, quote, somehow God continued to send women my way that were way too good for me. And I would date them and I'd take them for granted one right after another. And it was it was a steady pattern, end quote. Um, I don't have this in my notes, but I will say that he was not faithful to Marianne. He said that she told him he could do whatever he wanted to during the week. I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, he he was absolutely a salute. So. Early on in the investigation. I'm a salute for some good old NASCAR memorabilia. <laughs> yes, you are. So, you know, Marcus talked about like all these women that he had been with. And early on in the investigation, like even before Marion's autopsy report results were back, one of those women made a call to Sheriff Bill Massey. And she told him, quote, Sheriff Massey, Marion Shockley didn't drown. Marcus choked her to death, end quote. So obviously Sheriff Massey was taken aback, like the fuck. So you the woman- said that? One of uh, Marcus's ex-girlfriends, she called like the morning, like as soon as news broke that Marianne had died, like she called and was like, hey, he choked her to death. So she, the woman explained that the same thing had happened to her before. Like he frequently choked her during sex, but one time he went too far and he choked her till she was unconscious. And then he just left her there, which he later would dispute it and say, he would say that she was being dramatic and that she liked being choked and that it was consensual. So... This girl out of nowhere calls the sheriff. Well, imagine Sheriff Massey's shock when Marianne's autopsy results come back the next day. And Literature to, marks around the neck. According to the medical examiner, it was a classic case of strangulation Earth. and the manner of death was a homicide. So GBI agent Mabin paid Marcus a visit and broke the news that Marianne had been strangled to death. He wanted Marcus to tell him what really, hap- what really happened that led to Marianne's death. And Marcus was adamant that he didn't know. And agent Mabin called him a liar. Marcus told him that he probably needed a lawyer because it seemed like Agent Mabin had already had his mind made up that Marcus was guilty. And Agent Mabin agreed that, yeah, he did, in fact, already have his mind made up and added, quote, well, you're under arrest for murder, I'll tell you that, end quote, which just sounds very just Southern to me. So (laughs) with that, 41-year-old Marcus Lillard was arrested for the murder of 43-year-old Dr. Marianne Shockley. Now, because of COVID, Marcus's trial wouldn't start until April 4th of 2022, almost three years after Marianne's death. So a distant... COVID uh, just, I like, uh, as stated earlier, just ruined a bunch of damn shit. I'm I sorry. Liked, I liked being able to stay home. I just, it didn't ruin all things. Ruined a bunch of damn shit. It did. Um, assistant District Attorney Tammy Coffey started off the trial with the prosecution's theory of what happened. They believed that Marcus and Marianne were having sex in the hot tub. He choked her, and this time he choked her too hard and for too long. To support their case, the prosecution would call six of Marcus's former sex, par- sex partners to testify that he had a choking fetish, and he had choked them or attempted to choke to choke them during sex. Of the six women, two of them testified that he had choked them until they were unconscious. In response, yes, dude, is, I don't, I, 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 I can't even pretend to get that. Like he, what's interesting is like Marcus talked about it in the 48 hours episode and he's like explaining like the logistics of like, you know, it's, you put your hand here and you don't do this. I'm like, you, you're a freak. Like you a freak. I just, I just, ah, ah. In res- like, it's fucking weird. It's one thing, like, we're not going to kink shame. It's one, no, it's one thing not. if you like a little light choking, whatever. But, like, if but you're... But ch- I just, like, if it's, like... And I feel like that's... Someone like, seems like they're in pain or some shit, or someone goes unconscious. Like, how, like, come on. Like, that, that's I not like fun. That's that, not fun. That's where... And so I'll say the next thing, and then I'll finish my thoughts. So in response to the women's testimony, defense attorney Matt Tucker would assert that all of it was consensual and, quote, they're still alive. They're still alive. So, I mean, how is that even relevant? End quote. The defense lawyer said that? Yes. Like, how is that relevant? Well, a very large straw he's grasping at there. (laughs) Like, well, well, sir, your client has a history of choking women during sex, and his girlfriend ended up strangled to death naked in a hot tub. Like that's pretty relevant, and also the idea of consent. Like, yes, you can consent to choking, but I don't think those women were consenting to. Yeah, choke me till I pass out. Like that's not. I don't think that was part. Like I feel like consent is removed once the person is no longer conscious. 
your mm-hmm. your further facts of the case have blown holes all in my theory. So when we get to, to the end, I'm gonna I want to hear your old theory and I want to hear your new theory, and then I'll tell you my theory. So medical examiner Dr. Melissa Sim Stanley took the stand to testify about Marianne's autopsy. She said that Marianne had scrapes and bruises all over her face, neck, torso, legs, arms, hands, and knuckles. She had a laceration to the forehead that had been caused by some sort of blunt force trauma, most likely from a terminal fall, which is basically when an unconscious person falls. So as humans, we're naturally going to protect our face when we fall, but obviously... Unless you're unconscious. As we've seen, when I fainted and smacked my face on concrete... Your arms were down by your side. Yep. Unconscious people... felt like a tree in the woods. I literally... I do not fall. I don't faint gracefully and I have the facial scars to prove it. So unconscious people, they can't protect their face. It so looked like a trust fall gone wrong. <laughs> I can see where it looked like that. It really, I swear to God, man. Yeah. I, uh, I hit the, the ground with my face, as did uh, Marion Shockley. So Dr. Sim Stanley said that the injuries to her face were perimortem, which means they happened either at or near the time of death. Like they had some blood that had like they had bled a little bit and yeah. which means she had to have had blood pressure when the injury happened, but they didn't bleed as heavily as you would imagine having a big gash in your forehead, which shows that she was very close to death when it happened. Uh, Dr. Sim Stanley then testified about the injuries that led to her classifying Marianne's cause of death as strangulation. So first Marianne had one of the hallmark signs of strangulation, which is petechia. Ooh, right. that old petechia. Do you know what petechia are? That red spots in your eyes and shit. Yep. You've watched enough Forensic Files with me before you decided that you weren't going to ever watch Forensic Files with me again. A petechia. Uh, it's, what is that? Uh, tri-level fibers. Oh, yeah. Tri-level and fibers. E- and ethylene glycol. Yeah. We could basically that's, do like that's Forensic the blood, Files. The blood down. stuff, right? The blood spray? No. That uh, ethylene glycol is what's in antifreeze. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And tri-level fibers are like the carpet fibers. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you that, you know, don't know, petechiae are tiny little red pinpoint spots that are a result of busted capillaries. And on days when I've sat at my desk all day and the blood is pulled in my feet, I get petechiae all over my feet. Did you hear a kid coughing? Nope, that's a dog barking. Never mind. So when someone is strangled, capillaries in their eyes, like their eyeballs or on the inside of their eyelids, and sometimes in their face, they burst, leaving petechia. Now, as Dr. Sim Stanley acknowledged, there are other things that can cause petechia, including vomiting. So if, I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes people that are bulimic, they will have petechia from all the throwing up. They can actually burst like all the blood vessels in their eyes really bad. Assistant District Attorney Nancy Malcor Asked Dr. Sim Stanley if the presence of petechia alone is indicative of manual strangulation. So you touched on this a little bit earlier accidentally. So manual strangulation is when someone strangles you with their bare hands, as opposed to ligature strangulation when someone uses an object like a rope to strangle somebody. Uh, I thought, is that, I saw, did I say, is that the wrong thing? It It wasn't completely correct, but it wasn't completely wrong either. Like it yeah. is a type of strangulation. I felt um, like I would get cor- we'd get corrected or or we wouldn't, but I I, I thought about I paused like the for like a minute or two. I was like, ligature is that what the fuck? <laughs> you like some dumb shit? <laughs> no, you just you've watched just enough true crime or I heard- absorbed it through osmosis. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in response to her question, Doctor Sim Stanley told the district attorney that no, petechia by itself is not enough to indicate manual strangulation. Marianne had internal injuries to the neck that were also indicative indicative of manual strangulation. So the jury was first shown an autopsy photo of Marianne's neck where there were, you could see bruises on like the left upper front of her neck. There were also, uh, they also were shown photos of the inside of Marianne's neck, like in the autopsy where there were a lot, there were several areas of hemorrhages. So it is worth noting that Marianne's, she got the shit choked out of her. Yeah. It is worth noting that Marianne's hyoid bone was not broken. So for, my non-true crime baddies, the hyoid is a tiny little bone that's in the front of your neck. It's between like your jaw and your voice box. So because of where it is, it's not a bone that you can like accidentally fracture. So when it is broken, it is a telltale sign of strangulation. So I was gonna 
because I had questions. I was going to Google the logistics of strangling someone. Like, how long does it take? And like the significance of the Hollywood bone not being broken and all that jazz. But I already Google enough shady shit as it is. I don't want my FBI or CIA agent thinking anything. So I decided against it. Well, you um, do have an alibi. You have a, a murder podcast. So yeah. Yeah, I do. If they put two and two together, they'll be like, huh. It is all you research. Have to dig deeper if she did really murder somebody. It is definitely all just research, even the searches of CPAP poison. So Marianne's <laughs> hyoid bone was not broken. And I already said that because I didn't scroll down far enough. So Marcus's attorney tried to use a hyoid bone not being broken to say that maybe that's evidence that Clark strangled her because he was old and maybe not strong enough to break the to break the bone. He also had questions about some of Dr. Smith's Dr. Sims. See, that's a, I would say that's a fair enough defense because all you have to do is sow the seed of doubt, really, in their in their case. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel like. So uh, he's doing his job there, I feel like. The attorney also had questions about some of Dr. Sim Stanley's. I hope I'm saying her name right. It's when I have it, I've written it so many times that it's, I don't even know. Uh, first, Figure it out. Marianne had an enlarged heart. So for a woman her size, Marion's heart should have been around 280-ish grams, like give or take 30 grams. Marion's heart was around 400 grams. So that's kind of a, a big difference. Marion also had ecstasy in her system. So the defense attorney asked if it was a high level, but Dr. Sim Stanley explained that because ecstasy is an illegal drug, there's no therapeutic level. So there's no like documented threshold of like, oh yeah, this is high or not. It's not like yeah. with alcohol where, you know, they could uh, just be like, yo, this is what she had, and, right. and this is how much it was in there. We don't know. And if I'm not mistaken, I think her her blood alcohol may have been like 1.1. Nope, that's way too much. It was a lot. Maybe maybe it was like point. It was well above the the driving limit. I just can't remember. The I mean, 1.1 is is you know like is that it's, not it's it's pretty rowdy. But I think like the people. I don't know. Let's let's Google it really, really, really quick here, just to be factual. I think we're both googling it. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna get it first? Uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah, it it's... says point one one to point one five percent is just drunk, and then point two five to point three zero percent is stupor. All mental, physical, and sensory functions are severely impaired. Accidents very likely. Little comprehension may pass out suddenly. 0.31% and up coma. Level so, of surgical amnesia. Onset of coma possibly of alcu- acute alcohol poisoning. Yeah, she was at 0.11. I just had my, my decimal in the wrong place. She's just real good and drunk. Yep. So, yeah, so the, the medical examiner was like, well, I can't tell you if it's a high threshold because any amount is like not great. She would say though that Marianne had 1.9 milligrams per liter of ecstasy, while Clark, his level was only 0.72. So 1.9 to 0.72. So there was a big difference. Like, and so at one point, Marcus had a theory that like Clark gave him and Marianne a whole bunch more than he took to like get them more fucked up. And so that that lines up with so I think I think both Save of my the theory end. yeah I think both of my theories line up ultimately intertwine. Okay, I'm interested to hear what they are. So there was a big difference there. Ultimately, the attorney was trying to show reasonable doubt that maybe it hadn't been strangulation, like maybe it had been super hot hot tub mixed with alcohol, mixed with ec- ecstasy, mixed with an enlarged heart. And for what it's worth, 48 hours. So actually, her enlarged heart had had nothing. Th- that was already a thing. That was like a thing that was like there. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Kind of like with um, Taylor Hawkins. Like, it's like, oh, you have a, an enlarged heart. You. Like, they find yeah. it. So um, 48 hours sent the autopsy results to a forensic pathologist who was not involved with the case to see what he thought. And he agreed that, like, yeah, Marianne could have been strangled. But he found that, quote, a valid competing cause of death is sudden cardiac death due to mixed drug intoxication, a lethal mix of MDMA, alcohol, and marijuana with a contribution from underlying heart disease, end quote. So after a four-day trial, the jury of four women and eight men deliberated for 38 minutes before returning a verdict for the charges of 38 minutes? Yep. For the charges of felony murder, aggravated assault, involuntary manslaughter, and reckless conduct. 
So, Rob, what do you think? Do you think they found him guilty or do you think they found him not guilty? What were the, what were the, say those one more time? The different options were felony murder, aggravated assault, involuntary manslaughter, and reckless conduct. What do I think they, so he, they found him guilty of one of those? I'm asking what you think. Do you think they found him guilty of any of those or all of them? I think they found him guilty of at least one of them. Okay. Which one do you think? Uh, involuntary manslaughter. Okay. At least. The jury found now 44-year-old Marcus Allen Lillard not guilty of any of the charges. What? Yep. Judge Allison T. Burleson, however, told the court that she had reached, quote, quite a different conclusion than what the jury has come to, end quote. She told Marcus that it was clear to her that on the night of Marion's death, Marcus was concerned about nobody but himself. She then said, quote, and for that reason, I do find that the state has proven by the ponderance of the evidence, the crimes that are listed and the subsequent offenses in this probation petition. So I do find by the ponderance of the evidence that you violated probation in the manner alleged in this in the petition. And I'm going to revoke your probation for the balance of this sentence, which runs through October 15th, 2030. You will have to do whatever the parole board tells you to serve, end quote. So basically what happened was she kind of did like an OJ, like, she thought he was guilty. So what she did was she revoked his probation from his 2015 charge. And so now he's in jail until October of 2030 or until the parole board decides to let him out. That is a slam dunk judge move. And I respect the shit out of that. Kind of. So that, ladies, gents, and non-binary friends, is the case of Dr. Marion Shockley. So now, Rob, I want to hear your old theory and your new theory, and then I'll tell you my theory. <clears throat> Old theory was that uh, uh, old man was like, yo, these two younger folks are going to come over here. And I already know that they screw around with the with the pots and the uh, shrooms and the, the, they dabble. And he's like, I, he had that ecstasy on deck. So I initially I'm like, he dosed them up, tried to make a move on old chicky and one thing led to another or whatever. And then he was like, shit, you know, they were all, they, they, they all, I mean, because again, that shit's not dosed out. You just kind of take whatever, whatever's in a pill. And not, it's, it's not all, it's not all equal. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. all just, here's a pill of ecstasy or here's a dose. Of, it's like, it's, it varies. There's some that's, you know, it just varies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's scary. And, no, thank you. Uh, Right. So um, they could have got a hold of some stuff that was like stout and, you know, they weren't, their mind wasn't prepared. And, you know, anyway, one thing led to another. That was my initial. And then oh dude, because oh dude, it made sense to me. Oh dude was walked out in the woods and was like, bro, this stuff is hitting me. So I've got to get out here. I need my skin to be on the grass for some reason. Makes (laughs) sense. You know what I mean? That shit tracks for me, to be honest. Like I'm like, oh, that that makes total sense that he if he was in that mode, because you know, I've been there to be fairly honest. <laughs> I just have been there. So I was like, oh yeah, he was totally in the woods, like I just out of it. Um, and I don't know what happened. I, I could have been out there for 20 minutes, it could have been three and a half hours. I don't give I have no idea. It was it just my back was hot. I don't know. What can we do? <laughs> Grass was the only thing that could cool it off logically in my mind at the time so that's what i did but uh after the further evidence was revealed my second uh hypothesis uh was that old dude buddy you know obviously ecstasy is the love drug i reckon is what they call it happy lovey love drunk whatever you want to call it just uh so i reckon they were all he was doing the whole choky thing in the tub and maybe you know, maybe she passed out and he, you know, tried to pick her up and dropped her because they were so, you know, enveloped in the ecstasy or whatever, you know, and that kind of all culminated in just bad decisions. Yeah, that's basically so. I don't I don't after hearing all the evidence, I don't think I don't think he meant it. I don't think it was a he meant to do it. You know, I think I think that he did. For sure, sounds like more than likely he did. I don't think he meant to, and but seems like maybe he didn't mean to. But like 
again things got carried away like the the guy what was that the the karate movie guy the kung fu actor oh movie yeah guy the guy that, that died from erotic, yeah, erotic yeah, association. exactly you know like you know it's clearly a thing so you know if it it's 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 all fun and games until you know somebody gets choked out in a hot tub i don't know that's a, probably a terrible place no. for a joke but uh, have levity um uh I don't know, dude. That's that's and that's so that's my synopsis is is and then oh, as far as old dude buddy unaliving himself, you know, my second theory. Well, my first one, him doing it was out of straight guilt of oh, I I smoked this lady. That's my bad. The, now to me, it makes sense. He's like he in his stupor didn't really understand if he had anything to do with it. So the overwhelming guilt of knowing the the reality of knowing the cops are here. I had no idea if I had something to do with it and the guilt of thinking that he possibly did, you know, there are soldiers that, that during wartime make decisions and have to unalive people that probably deserve it in given the circumstance, potentially, however you look at it. But you know, and they they do the same thing, and you know there was probably more cause for for what they did than 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 him. But I don't know. People handle that shit differently. Yeah, I I completely agree. So apparently, Marianne and Marcus had a very active sex life, and he was Sounds a slut, like as it. we know. So I think that's yeah. fucking in the hot tub, and I think that he was so fucked up that he. I think that he choked her for too hard or too long and he didn't realize until it was too late. And then I think he panicked because he was on probation and it fucking looked bad. And then with Clark, I think he may have possibly stirred Clark up a little bit too. You know what I mean? So to make him somewhat culpable, if the cops did, I mean, obviously at some point that, you know, they call the cops, you know, I think like, I just think they were both, I think they're both fucked up. I think they didn't know what was going on. And like, Clark, I think he, I think he said in his suicide note too, that like he lived a good life. I think it, he realized like, look, I'm 69. My son died. I can't practice psychology anymore. This shit happened at my house. I don't know. What, I don't know what happened. I don't want to risk having to spend the rest of, you know, my elderly year, years in jail. Fuck this shit. I'm out. Yeah. And I will say like, cause I watched part of um, the 48 hours episode. Marcus is fucking charming. Like, he had me convinced he didn't do it. He did at one point blame the devil, which I'm like, really? Ah, uh, that's a... Don't, don't cop out and put the shit on the devil. Desperate move, my friend. Yeah, he literally, where's his quote? Because I was like, I literally made a note, like, you heifer. So, the CBS News, or the 48 Hours guy said, what do you say to those who are hearing this story of a guy who has a history with drugs who's claiming you know i blacked out convenient it sounds like and marcus said quote the devil was at work i mean everything that he could have possibly done to line this thing up to make it confusing and deceitful and it was all there end quote the devil didn't fucking kill mary and shockley that ain't just no no i feel like i needed one of the spray bottles that we used to spray pebbles with when she would do bathing like no <laughs> um that just that's that's stupid but he is very charming and like his son like apparently was really close to Clark and he was like, there's no way Clark did this, but I a hundred percent think my daddy did it. He was like, my dad, oh, is wow. a, he's like, he's a malignant narcissist. And he's like, and no one knows a father better than their son. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty telling. Yep. So yeah. Um, but I mean, like, like you, I don't think Marcus did it on purpose, but I do think he's culpable. Like he should have at least yeah. gotten the, the reckless conduct because his conduct was reckless. They waited two hours until after she was dead. Right. Call. I feel like that is like reckless, like by de almost definition, reckless conduct. Right. Like I get everything. Like they never should have gone for felony murder anyways. Cause like that's it. What? Right. There's no, that's like that. That's why I was like, so stuck on the manslaughter. I was like, this seems like total manslaughter. Yeah. Like because involuntary manslaughter. Drunk people, drunk people get it charged a manslaughter all the time and 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 in a lot of people's eyes drunk and and high on ecstasy is might as well be the same damn thing right you know what i mean especially in the damn south for sure so yeah it's I thought, the same thing i thought and that was maybe a, even worse in their most people's minds i thought this was a an interesting case 
with all it those was little tantalizing. Turns. Do you know who actually told me about this case? Who did? My mother. This summer really? when they came up to take the kiddo, she asked me if I'd heard about it in a hat and because I forgot, like she likes, like she'd be watching Dateline and Forty Eight Hours and stuff. So she's low key been a true crime person for a long time, and I just didn't think about it. Um, but yeah, she told me about it. So, um, right. so thank y'all so much for listening to this Murder Y'all podcast. As always, sources for the episode will be listed in the show notes. I do want to make this note: there were a lot of details related to this case that I left out. So if you want to hear all the dirt. I highly, highly, highly recommend listening to the Bloodtown podcast. Penny Dearman dug up stuff that like nobody else dug up. Like I think she found stuff that even investigators didn't find. And so she's literally like the expert on the case. That is all Bloodtown is about. Her website is outstanding. If you go to just Google like Bloodtown podcast, if you click at details at the top, she has a transcript of every episode. And I've read through a lot of that. So highly recommend that. There's also an episode of 48 Hours that you can watch. I found it on YouTube. and Or you can listen to the episode the episode on the 48 Hours podcast. So please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell your mama. See y'all next week. Lord willing in the creek don't rise. Peace out for us, y'all.